0: What is this? you're failing three classes. yeah well, that's what it is Oh man I don't know which way to turn. It's like I always told you man. All roads lead to God. Far out, man. Oh no! Ew, you're gonna eat that? Yeah, YOLO. know at this point our uh, chapel next door and our venue across campus and then our uh, cactus campus as well as those watching online join us for our time in the word and you know before we uh, dive into that i want to uh, make a very personal pastoral comment to uh, all of you and it's you know when it was announced earlier that our bylaw changes passed you know if you're visiting here today you know, you would think, okay, well, that, that is worthy of an anemic applause, but, you know, you kind of blow by that one. But, but I, I want to just underline uh, the health of Scottsdale Bible Church and how absolutely significant it is that uh, you all approved some rather substantive changes to our bylaws. I've been doing this for over 30 years and churches when you try to change the governing documents, some people see it on par to changing the Bible itself. And we all know that's not true, but they take it very seriously as we should take it seriously. And yet what was not announced, at least here at Shea in the worship center, is that you all approved the passing of our bylaws. You ready for this? uh, By about a 97% approval last weekend. And that's amazing. It really is. Yes, that is worthy of an anemic applause. I agree. I want to read you an email I got from the chairman of our board, Jeff Goble, that just kind of underlines this. He says, you know, this is an unprecedented outcome. Absolutely no one would pre- predicted that we would see approval rates over 97%. The Lord chose to bless our church in a, in a powerful way. He says, changing bylaws and statements of faith is often much more divisive than a capital campaign. Instead, this was a hugely unifying experience for our congregation. Be sure to thank them for their support and godliness. And we are now in a much better place and equipped to face the current trends in our culture. And he's right. Uh, the changes we made, are, as we explained to you, are primarily designed to help us address the strength of membership for our church, how we, how we function as members so that we can deal more thoroughly and even lovingly with all the the stuff going on in culture around us. And then we made some modest changes. our statement of faith nothing to anything critical but they were needed changes and and again you all did so and I I just want to thank you as your pastor because this means a lot to me you did so without drama and you did so uh, without getting all upset even if you didn't agree with them and uh, I just thank you for that because that shows maturity and I think it shows a lot of who we are now in the year 2018 as Scottsdale Bible Church and I believe that God is pleased with that so Way to go. Now, it's getting a little bit thinner in this room. I don't know about the other venues. I, I don't mean you're thinner. I mean the crowd is thinner. And um, and it means that our snowbirds are taking off. I've gotten emails from a few of them this week. And, you know, they're they I, I so love our snowbirds because, honestly, and this is not a slight against you guys, but they're the most joyful people I ever run into. And we all know why, right? Because they email me this week, and oh, Scottsdale Bible Church, bye! And you know, <laughs> and they're off. And, and you got to love those of you who stay because I, I love listening to rugged Arizonians because they'll say, You know what? May isn't all that bad of a month. And I go, well, Yeah, compared to July, it's not. But the snowbirds have it down to a science. Like by the very end of April, they are out of here. And uh, that leaves what I call the remnant to remain. And We try to save some of our great teaching for you guys and to uh, treat you to a a good church experience here in the summer months. So I, I think you will be very glad with that. So let's bow and pray and we're gonna dive into God's word. Father, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Thank you that your goodness and grace have been shown to us most poignantly, most powerfully in Jesus Christ. And God, Jesus is our savior. He's our Lord, he's our friend. And we're gonna learn from him today uh, how to live our lives more deeply and richly both in him, for him, and through him. So I pray, God, that as we do that, that you would give us wisdom. As Jesus said, ears to hear and eyes to see. And that, Lord, there not be one of us here or chapel, venue, cactus, or online that that walks away from this time uh, not slightly changed, if not more so, from being in your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name, and we say together, amen. So we're capping off a series today that we've called Dangerous Sayings. We're simply looking at some of the sayings that exist in culture that seem benign at first because they're used all the time, but as a Christian or for the Christian, they actually are more dangerous than we realize. So we've looked at it is what it is. We've looked at as long as you're happy. We've looked at all roads lead to God. And because we did a little one-off thing last week, we have one week to wrap this series up. And I've chosen to focus on the very common saying, YOLO, which stands for You Only Live Once. Uh, because I hear this phrase a lot, especially from young people in our culture. You're going to hear what it means in a minute, but I hear people text me. I see people text me YOLO or I hear somebody say, well, hey, let's do it. You only live once. And it's a phrase that's used often in culture today, and it's been around for a long time. And, and here's why I'm concerned about it is because if there's any saying that is most dangerous to the way that a Christian thinks... It is this last and final one, YOLO, you only live once. Because you see, taken just even at face value, this saying is simply not true. The reality is you don't only live once, you live how many times? Twice. Bible couldn't be more clear on this. Hebrews 9, verse 27 says, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So we all live we're all going to die. And the Bible makes it clear that after you die, whether you believe it or not, it's off to the next world where you're going to have to give an account for the choices and decisions and actions that you made in this life. We'll get more to that in a minute. So you don't only live once, you live twice. And so at least at face value, YOLO is not correct. Now, I know how some people would respond to this. And by the way, they're correct in their response. They would say, Jamie, you need to chill out. (laughs) I mean, when I use the phrase YOLO, Jamie, I'm not trying to make a theological statement on the nature of temporal and eternal reality. When I use the phrase YOLO, what I simply mean is that I'm trying to say, you know, you only get one chance at life, so don't be afraid to take some risks. It's okay to throw caution to the wind at times. It's okay to go for it now and then. YOLO, you only live once, so take some risks with your life. That's what I mean by using this word. And I get that. I understand that that's how people use YOLO today. That it's not a theological statement on the nature of temporal and eternal reality. It's a statement on how you need to see this life as short And so you need to get the most out of it. So don't always play it safe. Stretch yourself a little bit. Go for it at times. YOLO. You only live once. And yet here's the deal. Even used in this way, I would submit to you, and we're gonna spend the rest of our time on this right now, that YOLO is still a dangerous saying, at least for the Christian, and here's why because it tempts you and me to make decisions, to make choices this side of heaven, even sometimes big decisions. Now watch this, based only on this life, and God, as we're gonna see today, wants better for you and me. He does not want us to make our decisions, small or big, on YOLO, you only live once, He wants us to broaden our perspective, to enrich our palate, to have something a lot more on our spiritual taste buds than just this life. And yet, even though some of you don't go around saying YOLO, one of the greatest fears I have for you is that you make a lot of your decisions based only on this life and the mindset that you only live once. Here's how I know it. Here's some scenarios that I'm confronted with almost every week in the lives of many of us. Got a nice job offer in another state that involves moving your family away from the valley here? YOLO would say, take it. You only live once. Just go for it. Live a little. See what happens. Thinking of leaving your marriage because you're unhappy and it's just not working out, what would YOLO say? Do it. You deserve to be happy, you only live once. Why would you be miserable in the marriage you're in? Just leave, end it now. (laughs) How about this one? You want a new toy that will stretch you financially and runs the risk of jeopardizing your savings or even worse, your credit? What would YOLO say? Do it, you only live once, get the toy, be happy. Who cares about the other stuff? Or worse yet, thinking of jettisoning that long-held friendship because you feel hurt and don't want to go through the fatiguing process of conflict resolution. Yolo would say, life is short, you only live once, just move on, don't waste your time with this. And there's so many more scenarios that I see Christians deal with each and every day. And the question that you and I need to wrestle with right now, and it's the main question I want you to wrestle with today, is could it be, That God wants you and me to think differently and process differently all the things going on around us like these scenarios. Could it be that YOLO is not the best way for the Christian to process the world around him or her? And I think we're starting to see the answer to that. I want to show you what I mean. And to do this, I want us to turn to a very important passage in the New Testament. It's in the book of 1 Corinthians, specifically chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. It's a passage that you might have heard before, but many, many Christians are not aware of what this passage is saying and how important it is to our daily lives. And before I read it for you, I want to fill you in about the church in Corinth 2,000 years ago. And all you really need to know for our purposes today, and I'm not making this up, is that this was a church that overdosed on YOLO. They did. This was a church that wanted to get the most out of this life. You see, the Corinthians, we know from reading both the letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, wanted all the greatest experiences in this life. They wanted all the great worship experiences. That's why they were into healings, miracles, tongues, interpretations, words of knowledge, because they wanted that next zip from God in worship. They wanted the best sexual and relational experiences. That's why Paul will write to them about these. Uh, money, adventure, power. The Corinthians were into all of this. It was a thriving Greek city 2,000 years ago. And they wanted to live this life to the tilt. And they were focused on getting the most out of this life, watch this, now. And that was their perspective. As Fleming Rutledge says in her most recent book in talking about the Corinthians, she says the Corinthians seem to have little understanding of the not yet aspect of Christian life. They want only the now. I know it's hard for you to picture a Christian that would want everything now, but just go with me on that. (laughs) The Corinthians were like that, not too dissimilar to many Americans today. And here's my point before we read the passage. There's nothing wrong with wanting to get the most out of this life. Obviously, a lot of us want that. The only problem is this. For the Corinthians, this life only now mindset, you ready for this? Led to a boatload of sinful decisions. In all the things that I mentioned earlier, in their worship, led to sinful decisions. In their relationships and marriages, led to sinful decisions in their money, in their sexual experiences, in their power, in every aspect of their life. Paul's writing to the Corinthians about all the bonehead decisions that they have made when it comes to even being Christians, what he calls saints as he addresses them. And there is such a mess in their lives and almost all of this can be traced back to this idea of YOLO, their mindset that, hey, you only live once, so let's get the most out of life now. And Paul wants to change that kind of thinking. And and so let's read chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, and, and see what he says to them, and by extension, you and I. Follow along as I read. This is rich stuff. He says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward." If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now, this passage initially seems rather complex. That's why you could hear a pin drop in this room right now, because some of you are going, what? And really, it's not as complex as it looks at face value. This is actually a very simple word picture giving us an analogy between our spiritual lives and something physical here on earth, and we're to make a connection between the two to get Paul's point. And what he's basically saying is that your life, this side of heaven, is like building a beautiful structure. He uses that word building a couple times. And he says, your life is like a building that you build throughout your life, compiled of all of your actions, decisions, thoughts, feelings, choices, even your character. So every moment of every day, you're not static, you're dynamic in the decisions and thoughts and feelings and interactions. You're you're building a structure inside your soul that defines who you are by how you live life this side of heaven. And yet, in order to build a structure, especially a good structure, Paul tells us that we need a solid foundation, and he's very clear on what that foundation should be. Look again at verse 11. He says, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Man, this is good stuff. He's essentially saying, as you build the structure of your life, make sure it's built on a solid foundation, and hint, hint, that foundation should be faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's your forgiver. He's your friend. He's your savior. He's your Lord. He's the one who came for you. He's the one whom your life is to surround around. And if you make him the foundation of your life, faith and trust in him, then what you build, as even Jesus said, isn't going to be on sand, but it's going to be on the rock. And that's why faith in Christ is so important. But then, once the foundation is laid, Paul goes on to talk about the actual structure you build with your thoughts and choices, decisions, and actions. And he talks about what you need to build and how you should build it. And this is where it heats up. Because when you look closely, you will notice that he gives us two options on how we should build. He says you can build using wood, hay, and straw, or you can build using gold, silver, and precious stones. And the reason that we know that these are two distinct options, even though the text lumps them together, is because of verse 13. He says, each man's work, what you build in this life, will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. Whoa. So what's the day that he's talking about here? Anybody know? It's the day that you, not to try to be morbid here, it's the day that you die. Remember Hebrews 9:27. we started with this? And it says that, just as as we are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So the day that you die is that infamous day that God is concerned with because you're gonna face him. And as a Christian, if you have that foundation of Jesus, on that day, there's gonna be a little bit of testing fire. And that testing fire on that day is simply gonna test the quality of how you lived your life for the Lord. And now let's go back to this analogy or this word picture. If you build using wood, hay, and straw, what is the fire gonna do to that stuff? Anybody know? It's gonna burn it right up, isn't it? Sorry to be so morbid, this is fun for me. It's just gonna burn it up. In other words, the things that you do in your own flesh and not for the Lord or even the the, the dumb decisions you made, here's the good thing, that stuff isn't gonna be carried into eternity. God's gonna say, let's refine this, let's burn this stuff up. But conversely, if you build using what? Gold, silver, and precious stones, what's the fire gonna do to them? Nothing. Maybe even refine them because we know that gold is refined by fire. And so you can choose this side of heaven, what you want to build your life with, stuff that will burn up and not survive or stuff that that will survive the fire. And then he caps off this analogy by saying that whatever survives the fire will be the building that you take into eternity and that, and I know this is going to freak you out right now, but you guys are mature people, that will determine your reward In heaven. See, Christians don't talk much about this. The Bible calls this the doctrine of rewards. There actually is this idea that for the Christian, we are rewarded in heaven for the kind of life that we live now. And we don't know a lot about what that reward will be. I mean, Jesus talks about, you know, uh, rooms and houses and, you know, crowns and things like that. But those are probably all word pictures. Heaven will be a totally different reality. But we know, and maybe you can look at it this way, that the reward we get would ter- determine the nature of our eternity. So so add all this up. This isn't a complicated analogy he's giving us here. There's only four things you got to grab onto. The foundation of your life is what? Faith in Jesus Christ, because without that, then everything else is just moot. The building that you are building are the decisions, actions, character that you develop in the power of the Spirit, this side of heaven, or conversely, the fleshly things, this side of heaven. The fire is going to be applied to you on that day, and this refers to the judgment of believers. We call this the bima seat because the word Greek word bima means seat. You're going to sit on a seat and, and, and be judged as a believer and determined on, on how you lived your life here. There will be a reward that will determine the nature of your eternity. Now, before we put this together, I want to make something really clear that's very important for all of you here right now. This is not a works-based approach to salvation, what we call works salvation. It is not that. Some of you, if we were to say amen right now, would walk out of here right now saying, Pastor said, I need to live the best life I can because if I don't, then I'm going to burn up in hell because of this thing called fire. That is not what I'm talking about here. The Bible says there's two judgments, the great white throne at the end of the book of Revelation that everybody will go through. And for the believer, if you believe in Jesus, you're gonna like whiz right through the great, great white throne because you're gonna get to that great white throne and God's gonna say, why should I let you into heaven? And if you dare say, you know, I was a pretty good guy, I went to church more than my neighbor did and I didn't curse a lot. He's gonna say, no, you know, you don't quite get it yet. But if you say, the reason I should go through this great white throne of judgment is because of what Jesus did for me, Father, and because of his atoning blood for me, the foundation of my life, then God will say, enter into your rest. And then, for the believer, it's the Bema seat. Then, for the believer, there's going to be then a a, a rewards-based approach to how you enter into heaven according to what the Bible teaches here I'm not making this stuff up. And though it's ominous to some Christians to think like this, here's the simple point the Bible is making, and it's our point today. And that is that what we do this side of heaven, the choices that we make, and even how we make them, will determine the kind of eternity that we have. That's what the Bible's trying to communicate here. And maybe now you can see why Yola is such a dangerous mindset for the Christian. Is it starting to compute for you yet? Simply put, our actions and choices, this side of heaven will be best made and executed if we do so in light of eternity, as opposed to just this world. See, YOLO says this, you only live once, just consider this life, it's relatively short, you got a lot to do, so just take some risks and go for it not necessarily a bad way of thinking, and there's certainly times where God wants you and me to take risks. Here's the problem with YOLO. You won't know whether this is really a time to take a risk or not if all you think of is in this narrow, earthbound sort of way. No, you're only gonna know if it's time to take a risk or not if you broaden your perspective and ask God, how will my actions and choices affect eternity? That's what God is saying for you and me. That's why I said earlier, he wants better for you and me. He wants you, whenever you make any decision, to say, how will this decision affect the glory of God? How will it affect the eternal values of his word? Does it pattern itself after the relational, self-giving, other-centered love of the Trinity? Or does it honor the unholy Trinity, me, myself, and I? Are you starting to see? There's two ways to make decisions the earthbound way or with what some authors call an eternal perspective, considering heaven in your decisions. And going back to Paul's word picture here to the Corinthians, we ask the question, will the action I'm taking now or the choice that I'm making now survive the fire on that day or will it be burnt up? And what I am doing right now, is it being built on wood, hay and straw? of YOLO, or is it gold, silver, and precious stones of God's spirit and an eternal perspective? And you know, as I was thinking about this all this week, because I live in this realm, guys, I'm gonna talk to you about that more in a minute here. I mean, I, I, I hope to inspire you to live in this realm. It, it hit me as I was uh, ruminating on it this week and over the last few weeks that if you and I had to jettison YOLO from our thinking, what would we replace it with? And this is going to be kind of hokey, I'll just warn you right now. And I don't mean to be hokey, it's just the best I got. And I, I wrote this in my notes. I, I said, well, YOLO, you only live once, should be replaced by just changing one letter. You only live eternally, which would mean that you and I don't go walking around saying YOLO. We walk around, you're going to like this, going YOLE. which is a lot more sophisticated for a Scottsdale audience, amen? Yeah. Now, in all seriousness, do not go to work tomorrow and go yo because they think you're weird enough as it is. But I would encourage you, in all seriousness, to just adjust your thinking here And when you're tempted to make a decision, big or small, when you're tempted to think, well, man, I gotta take a risk here. I gotta go for it. You only live once. Just alter it a little bit. Say, no, I I only live for eternity. Don't you love that? I only live for eternity. And I I wonder what eternity would say about this decision. See, that's a subtle adjustment, but a powerful adjustment in the way that you and I think. Go back to the examples that I gave you in the beginning of our time. They're good examples. This is gonna feel a little bit difficult for some of you, but let's be men and women about this, shall we? It got a nice job offer uh, from another state that involves relocating your entire family, a common scenario. YOLO would say, well, hey, if it gives you more money and a little bit more promotion, then just do it. You only live once. You only live eternally might prompt you to think this way. Well, yeah, God wants me to provide for my family because the Bible says that, but he also says that I need to honor and cherish my spouse and to not exasperate my children. So I wonder how that might play into this. The Bible also says that I'm to pray about a decision like that. What happens when I pray about it? The Bible also says that I need to consider wise counsel, not just my friends who think YOLO, but, but wise counsel, people who think with an eternal perspective. wonder what they would say about this. Do you see the difference right there? causes you just to think a little bit more eternally about a decision like that. This one's hard for many people in our 21st century culture, but thinking of leaving your marriage because you're unhappy and it's just not working out. Again, YOLO says, just do it. Life is short. Don't stay with somebody that makes you unhappy. But you only live eternally might cause you to think this way. And it's complicated, but this is good for your soul. You begin to think, well, you know what? God grieves every divorce, never really likes it doesn't mean that there's not reason for it at times. I mean, if there is uh, adultery or abandonment or certainly forms of abuse, then, then there might be a reason for me uh, to call it quits. But, 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 but if those things aren't in play here, I wonder what perseverance would look like. I wonder what would happen if I asked God to honor his promise in the Psalms where he says, I am a husband of the husbandless." a father to the fatherless, and ask him to be my all in all. I wonder if God would come through like that for me. See, again, I'm not trying to tell you what to do here, gang. But too many of us think only in this earthbound, here and now, what's good for me mindset. God wants to expand your mindset into eternity. This one's easy, I'm gonna hit you right between the eyes on this one. Want that new toy that will stretch you financially and runs the risk of jeopardizing your savings and or your credit, Yolo says, just go for it. You know what eternal thinking says? No! (laughs) Credit is bad, cash is king, savings is even better. You ever heard of deferred pleasure? Be a man, be a woman, and don't do it until you have the resources to do it. And even then, be very careful with how you spend your money. Don't you love that one? That was even more anemic than the bylaws. I like it. I like it. How about this one? Thinking of jettisoning that long-held friendship because you feel hurt and don't want to go through the fatiguing process of conflict resolution again. Yolo would say, life is short, you only live once. Don't haggle with that one. Don't hang around people like that. Here's the problem. Uh, Eternal thinking will say this. Now, you're going to laugh at this one. If the person is a Christian, you got to think about it this way. I'm going to spend all eternity with this person. (laughs) So why don't I practice now getting along with them because I'm going to do it in heaven whether I want to or not. So maybe now I ought to practice forgiveness and go through that tunnel of chaos, of conflict resolution because I'm going to be with them for all of eternity. I might as well get along with them now. Isn't that a better way to function there? It's true. And here's the problem with all of these scenarios, and this is why Christians don't do this, is that I can hear the rebuttals already. Man, Jamie, this is hard. It's even a kill joy. I mean, this is why Christians, Jamie, are so boring and conservative, always taking the fun and risk out of everything. You ever heard somebody say that about Christians? I've been hearing it for 37 years now. And those are fighting words to me because you know what my answer is to that? When people say to me, well, man, that, that kind of thinking is just conservative and boring and takes the fun out of life and takes all the risk out of it. I go, really? Really? So caring about your family Valuing marriage, not being a fool with your money, and persevering in relationships is a killjoy. That's what you're telling me. You see, the only person that would ever respond like that is a complete hedonist that lives for self and pleasure. They would see these things, God's values, as a killjoy. But if you care at all about God, if you care at all about others in your life, if you even just wanna be semi-responsible with the life you've been given, then these things are music to your ears and they're downright inviting. There's a substantive difference between you only live once, you only live eternally. And it really does separate the men from the boys the women from the gals in the Christian life. Now, if you desire at all to live this way, in the few moments we have remaining, I wanna just ask one more question how does one acquire an eternal perspective that takes us way beyond YOLO? How how do we do that? Three things as we wrap up. Three things that can more than get us going when it comes to getting God's perspective on our lives. Three things which can create an eternal perspective. And the first one, and I've chosen my words very carefully here, is what I call scripture saturation. Scripture saturation. Jesus, when he was being tempted in the desert early on in his ministry, was being tempted by Satan with YOLO. Did you know that? Because Jesus had been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. He was really hungry. And so Satan comes along and says to him, hey, dude, just turn these stones into bread. You're like the son of God. Just live for the now, man. Satiate your hunger. You only live once. Just, just, just do this little miracle and you won't be hungry anymore. And you remember Jesus' response in Matthew 4, verse 4? It says, but he, Jesus, answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Uh, These two words jumped off the page at me this week, that we are to live on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God rather than caving into YOLO because that is an eternal perspective that Jesus has there. And the question I thought of for your life and for mine was this, and this is very convicting to me. Uh, When it comes to your life, do you saturate it with every word that comes out of the mouth of God? Every word. When I was thinking about that, I thought to myself, well, how many words comes out of the mouth of God? Have you ever thought of that? Taking just the Bible alone, this is a fun exercise. There are 66 books in the Bible. There are 1,189 chapters in these 66 books of the Bible. These chapters have 31,102 individual verses in the Bible. And all told, you ready for this? There are over 783,000 words. In the Bible, if you care to go even further, there's 3.1 million letters and numbers in the Bible, but let's not go that far. Just focus on the words for right now. Jesus says we are to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The Bible is God's mouthpiece to us, and there are 783,000 words in the Bible. And the question I have for you is do you know every one of them? Do you saturate your life with every one of them? If God was to quiz you on these 783,000 words, how would you do with them? We'll get more to that in a minute. The second thing we need to do to have an eternal perspective is what I call develop a service lifestyle, a service lifestyle. In other words, it's a lifestyle that just doesn't, you know, usher in church, though ushering is good, or or count money, or serve in the children's ministry, all good things to do, but develops an absolute everyday lifestyle of serving God and others. Constantly thinking more of others and their needs than yourself. A service lifestyle. How do we know this is what God wants? Well, again, Jesus teaches us this. There's a famous story in Matthew 25, many of you are familiar with it, where Jesus says at the end of the the time, the king is gonna come and he's gonna separate all of humanity into two groups. Do you remember who they are? The sheep and the goats. You don't wanna be a goat in this analogy. You wanna be a sheep because the sheep are gonna be put on his right, the goats are gonna be put on his left, And then to the sheep, he's going to say, hey, here's the deal, guys. You're going to have a great eternity because uh, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I was naked, you gave me clothes. When I was sick, you visited me. And when I was in prison, you came to me. And the sheep are going to say, hey, all we did was trust you, Jesus. We never did any of that stuff for you. What gives? What gives? And look at how Jesus wraps up this part of the story in Matthew 25, verse 40. He says, The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. So every time we serve somebody in need, whether it's at work or on a corner, or or, or our neighbor, when we're home at night, or or your family. Every time you you serve more the needs of others than the needs of yourself, you're, you're developing an eternal perspective. Why? Because service is love in action. You're now functioning like the trinity of God that is always in submission to each other and serving each other in profound relationality for all of eternity. And you're tapping into that. And it starts to give you the mindset that God wants for you, a service lifestyle. So you got scripture saturation, a service lifestyle, and then a third and final thing that will push you down the road to eternal thinking. And I've saved the best for last, and this one is the most potent and the most difficult. It's what I call God obsession. God obsession. Jesus couldn't have been more clear with this one. Look at what he says. He says, uh, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Here's the thing you have to wrestle with that because some of you are saying, where's the God obsession in this? Most people don't understand this passage because in first century homes, uh, most of them didn't have inner rooms. They had just one room. And if they did have an inner room, they wouldn't have had a door. So we know at the very most that what Jesus is giving here is another one of his famous word pictures, an analogy, because the Bible says that we're to pray continually. And so Jesus says, when you go to pray continually, go into your inner room. Now, with that backdrop, anybody know where the inner room is? Say it with me it's your heart. So Jesus is saying that there's a a secret place inside of you that nobody else sees, that God sees. Go into that place in your heart and mind constantly, continually, on a regular basis and commune with the Father. Driving down the road at, at a break at work, when you're on the phone at work, when you're talking to somebody, you're multitasking, you're communing with the Father each moment of each day in secret And your father, who sees what is done, will reward you. Kind of sounds like that reward thing going on there, right? Because you're living a God-obsessed life at that point. Each moment of each day, you are focusing on him through the good and even through the bad. And you see, if I could get every Christian to this point, I'm telling you, gang, there'd be no stopping us when it comes to to the power and the intimacy and the love and the grace and the evangelism and the obedience that we would have this side of heaven. We'd be building everything on gold and silver and precious stones if we would live God-obsessed lives that lived in light of his presence every moment of every day. I told you earlier, I really do try to live this. And when I tell you guys I live a God-obsessed life, it doesn't mean I live a perfect life. I just live a God-obsessed life. In other words, there's not a moment of any day where I'm not somehow haunted in a good way by his presence. But I've had to train my soul that way. I had a wild experience like that this week where, (laughs) this is embarrassing to admit to you, but I was was, uh, rushed. That's not the embarrassing part. I'm always rushed, but I was rushed, and I was heading home to my study, and I had been at a meeting here at the church, and I needed to grab a quick lunch, so I stopped at Chick-fil-A to get a salad, mind you, and so I'm at Chick-fil-A, and I'm in the drive-thru, and I'm in kind of a hurry, and and, and, and so I'm a little bit impatient, uh, and, and so I, I get there, and you know, Chick-fil-A is starting to heat things up as it gets hotter here. They got the kids sitting out there, you know, it takes your order, and then another kid takes your credit card, and so I gave my order, and then I got to the credit card, and they kept swiping it in this little makeshift machine and it wouldn't work and I'm getting frustrated because I'm seeing the other line go beyond me, you know, to to the drive-thru line and I'm going, man, I I don't got time for this, so I said to the kid, I said, you know what let me just pay up there because it always works up there and she tries it again. I go, let me pay it up there because it works up there. So finally she says, okay, pay up there. I get up there and I said, you know what? Hey, that machine ain't working back there, all right? And so I, I, I you know, here's my card. It will work up here. And, and I wasn't rude. I was just a little bit curt. That's what I told my kids. I was just curt. And, um, <laughs> and I kid you not, the very next thing that happens is, is the kid takes the card and he swipes it and it works, he hands me the card and receipt. And he goes, hey, that's a nice car you got there, Pastor. kid goes to our church. (laughs) How do you think I felt in that moment? Anybody know? Oh gosh. I said, thank you so much. And you know, it's an older car, so don't judge me and all that stuff. And I uh, got my bag and I drove out and I get on the freeway and I was so tempted to go back, but that would have felt really creepy, right? Hey, let me talk to you kid about this. And I I was on the freeway, and you know what I did? I did what I always do when things like this happen. What did I do? I prayed. I talked to God. And I talked to God in slang. Do you guys talk to God in slang? I don't use King James prayers at those times. I I just said, God, I'm such an idiot. I'm 54 years old. I've been a Christian for 37 years. You'd think I would know better. God, slow me down. I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry I'm impatient. Slow me down. Prepare me to be more fully in your presence. And by the time I got home, it's about a 10-minute drive, I was feeling more calm, more centered. Here's my point. If I didn't have a God-obsessed life, if I didn't care about God and his presence with me all the time, would I have done that? Some people don't care about things like that at all. It's a small issue, right? You got a little snippy with the Chick-fil-A guy. Well, guess what? Those things matter. Someday, I'm not trying to read too much into this, that interaction is gonna appear at the day and the fire is gonna test it. Here's the cool thing. That actually might survive the fire because of how I responded. Who knows? But God obsession is key. Um, Give me one more chart here. Uh, Here's the problem with these three things I'm sharing with you right now. We're out of time here, so I'm just gonna give this to you, kind of fast track. Uh, You know, the problem with Scripture saturation, service lifestyle, and God obsession is that this is not the way most Christians live. The way most Christians live is that they live in the realm of scripture sampling, service light, and God observance. And I don't mean to make you feel judged or anything, I really don't, but I've been doing this a long time and I love you guys deeply, but the vast majority of Christians have no idea the 783,000 words the Bible gives us. You'd be lucky to know 100 of them. And that scripture sampling and you wonder why you don't think eternally. The average Christian does service light. They're proud of the fact that they got a nice little service position at church. They carve out one or two hours and then they you know, watch four hours of sitcoms every night of the week and all that. And we wonder why we don't think eternally. You don't have a service lifestyle. You're living on service light. And this is the most concerning for me. We really don't have God obsession in our life. We live God observance, don't we? But we come and do our thing. We sit in church for an hour and think, man, that was a really good sermon. I kind of liked it. I laughed, you know, and he told a couple stories, and I kind of feel a little bit better about my life, you know, a little bit convicted, and, 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 you know, I wonder what I'm going to do this afternoon. Well, here's what you need to do this afternoon. You ready for this? (laughs) Be obsessed with God in your life. He loves you. He's with you each moment of each day, and he does not need nor want your observance. He needs your very life. And he wants your very life. He wants you all in because he loves you that much. And again, as I said earlier, if Christians could just get here, man, we'd start to think eternally in a way that would just blow everything else out of the water. We're gonna go to the communion table now and we're gonna celebrate the eternity that we're gonna share because of what Jesus has done for us. So as we prepare to launch the other campuses and venues to their time of communion, and as Pastor Neil comes up to lead us in communion here, would you bow with me and let's pray. Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you that your word speaks so relevantly to every aspect of our life. Lord, even the sayings that we use are not off limits to the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. I pray, God, that as we process these things for our own lives, my simple prayer, God, is that you would you would save us from earthbound fleshly thinking and propel us into the realm of eternal thinking. May we be scripture-saturated, service lifestyle, God-obsessed people who fight the battle well. And I pray this in Jesus' name.